Valerian blinks slowly awake. Pain is the first thing that registers, followed a short while later by the realisation he can't see a damn thing. He's sat on a cold, hard floor and is very securely bound. To another person, it would seem. Tatters, he whispers, realising there's something covering his head and that everything hurts a lot more than it's supposed to. Is that you? Tatters, with her back to him, can only groan in response. He knows just how she feels. Without a warning, the bag is pulled off his head and he is momentarily blinded, though only a pair of candles light the room. As his vision slowly adjusts, he can make out the silhouette of a woman standing over him, arms crossed, with another figure behind her, one that seems to glint in the candlelight. Miss Montessario? Valerian ventures. Glancing about, he can just make out that they are in some sort of mausoleum or crypt, not especially encouraging. When she speaks, Mina Montessario's words seem strangely familiar to Valerian, though he struggles to place them. Valerian Shaw, so delighted you could join us. I come with an offer you simply can't refuse. Hello and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our heroes on their journey into the unknown. For this game, I'll be using the Blades in the Dark rule set, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. A word of warning the following scenes may contain mature themes and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. The adventure continues. Last time on The Lone Adventurer, the web entered the underpipes beneath Kairos, and after negotiating the perils there, they set to rerouting the water main up and into the Unseen's supply depot. Millions of gallons of water blasted up into the warehouse, destroying the Unseen's stockpile of infernal powder and killing many of those guarding the warehouse. The spider's carefully laid plan had been a complete success. All right, Spider, I have to admit, that was a bloody good plan. Crater is a good way through his first bottle of wine, and a second one is sure to follow. And, by the look of things, he's made a start on the dust already. He's not the only one in a good mood. Unlike the last time they'd all sat on the dusty stage of the dingy, abandoned opera house, this time there is a genuine sense of elation at the success of their mission. Even Trace seems to be in good spirits, least for her. Much as I hate to agree with the team oaf, I can't really argue with that, she sniffs. I can't see the Amada getting supplied any time soon after last night's work. The spider allows herself a small smile. Yes, all things considered, things did go remarkably well. Though that was only the first step. We have given our enemies a bloody nose, but we should be under no illusion. 
All we've done is delay their plans, not derail them. And now that we have moved against them so openly, I have no doubt they will be coming for us with every resource at their considerable disposal. They can get in the queue with every other bugger in this city, Crater grins. Let them come. Trace shakes her head in disgust. The tattooed pillock notwithstanding, I suggest it's time we find ourselves a new base of operations, and that we stay on the front foot. Our one advantage is that we're small and agile. If we stay on the attack, keep shifting targets, we keep ourselves hard to track down, and our opponents off balance. The spider glances over at Sallow. Of all of them, he is the only one who doesn't seem to have taken some measure of pleasure in their success. The twitchy saboteur keeps glancing anxiously around the room, gnawing all the while on the stubs of his fingernails. Everything all right, Sallow? she asks. Sallow starts as if someone has crept up on him and pinched him. What? No, fine. Everything's fine. Why wouldn't it be fine? All good here. Thank you. The spider narrows her eyes. Sallow, what's wrong? Why so edgy? Sallow gulps and opens his mouth to speak, but whatever he was about to say, whether denial or confession, he is interrupted before he can say a word. Well, aren't you all a sight for sore eyes? As one, the crew turn, and there, striding between the rows of seats down the aisle with his arms spread wide and a grin on his face, is Valerian, and tatters alongside him. Everyone is on their feet in an instant, unleashing an outpouring of relief and frustration. All of them shouting questions over one another. Valerian raises his hands. Please, please, there will be time for plenty of answers soon enough. But first, I have a guest I would like to introduce. Miss Montessario, won't you join us? Mina, one hand on her holstered arcane pistol and followed by her bipedal automaton and a devotant of Ankara, steps out of the shadows. She calls up to the stage as she approaches, and there is steel in her voice. So you're the one they call the Spider. I understand you're the brains of this outfit. Well, Spider, I think it's long past time we had words. Usually, when I drop an easter egg into this story, I'm referring to other geeky media, but this time I open the chapter with a more self-referential example. If you notice that Mina's words to her captive exactly mirrored Valerian's when he captured her way back in Season 1, Chapter 2, then award yourself five geek points. How did that intro scene come about? Well, well, I worked through the crew's initial downtime steps of payoff heat and entanglements, and the entanglement and faction that I rolled was reprisals, House Montessario. That led me to a follow-up question. Following their defeat in Tereth Palace, what had happened to Tatters and Valerian? The Oracle informed me they had been captured by House Montessario, but that they were hidden away from the House of Whispers. Mina had spirited them away to a secure location for purposes that will, hopefully, soon become apparent. I then ran through the team's downtime activities, along with their XP awards and updating the faction clocks, but there was nothing particularly noteworthy in any of that, with one exception that we'll come back to later. So, following the principle of focusing on what matters most, I've fast-forwarded the story, and we have moved on to what happens next. So far, in this Blades in the Dark game, 
I've been moving back and forth between two game modes. First, I've undertaken a mission. Then, I've moved into downtime. Then, I've undertaken another mission, and rinse and repeat. But that approach only works as long as the PCs have the upper hand. While they have the luxury of planning a score and then the freedom to attempt to carry it out. What's happening now is slightly different. I've played through the downtime steps, and that downtime is now complete, but they have been interrupted by Mina before making any new plans. The virtual GM has taken greater control of the narrative at this point, and instead of being proactive, my crew are now reacting to external events. They are not, strictly speaking, in downtime any longer, and neither are they in a score. Instead, they are in the third mode of Blades in the Dark gameplay, free play. Free play takes place any time that downtime or a score are not in flight. And in fact, this is the game's default state. Characters talk to each other, they go to places, they do things, they make roles as they need. We've not really had that much free play so far, but now does feel like an appropriate time to use it. I should probably point out that Mina's arrival at the web's hidden base was not entirely a foregone conclusion. I made a roll with very likely odds to see if she'd turn up with Tatters and Valerian following her earlier discussion with the captives, and I rolled a yes. Time to switch into free play then, as we play to find out what Mina has in mind. The spider gestures for her companions to sheath their weapons and inclines her head. Mina Montessario. An unexpected arrival, given that this place is supposed to be a closely guarded secret. She fixes Valerian with a flinty gaze, then looks back to Mina. But it is a welcome one, nonetheless. You are quite right. We do have a great deal to discuss. Would you join us? The group climbs up to the stage, Mina striding ahead until she stands face to face with the spider. Unnoticed, behind her, Tatters slows, then stops putting a hand to her temple and grimacing. Mina glowers up at the web's leader. Quite the game you've been playing, Spider. First with me as a pawn, and now it seems with the whole city as your game board. Most of which is now on fire. Tell me, is there a strategy behind all this chaos? The spider smiles, though it doesn't quite reach her eyes. As I recall, Miss Montessario, we are not the only ones with a penchant for blowing things up. But the question is a valid one. In the face of the insidious menace this city faces, a strategy is exactly what we need. I trust Valerian and Tatters here have filled you in on what we... She trails off as she notices Tatters. The arcanist seems to be in some distress. Valerian places a protective hand on the young girl's shoulder and glances at his companions. She'll be all right. She's had a rough run of it of late, what with the prison escape and then the fight at the palace. It's taken a lot out of her. Tatters shrugs him off, exasperated. Shut up, you idiot. There's something wrong here. I can feel a presence, something, something hidden. As if stepping through an open door in thin air... Lord Tortimus emerges from the shadows, his flatulent pug Susan in the crook of one arm. He smirks as the group scramble back in panic, fumbling for weapons for the second time in as many minutes. An impressive trick, young lady. It would seem the time for concealment is done. 
He gestures carelessly, and what an instant before had been merely vague shadows has suddenly and unmistakably become a dozen or more black-garbed vampires clinging to the chamber ceiling. Tortimer smiles. Please don't let me interrupt. Things were just getting interesting. I believe you were saying something about a strategy and an insidious menace? The spider stumbles back. No, she mutters, incredulous. It's not possible. Vampires could only have entered this place if someone had invited them in. Goodness, the vampire lord exclaims in mock horror, raising a pale, perfectly manicured hand to his lips. Who could have done so dastardly a deed? And he gives Sallow a conspiratorial wink that is impossible for the others to miss. Sallow looks as if he wishes the stage would swallow him up, but it shows no sign of cooperating. He folds under the stares of his companions, but turns betrayed, accusatory, and heartbroken. I'm sorry, he wails, dropping to his knees, hands clasped in front of his face. You don't understand. I I had to do it. I had no choice. Trace spits, contempt dripping from every word. You had to kill us all. What possible reason could you have had to sacrifice every true friend you ever had? What possible reason indeed? I'm afraid that's going to have to wait just a moment. It's fair to say that things have turned really ugly really fast, and I confess, I have had a hand in that. I mentioned before that it was me who asked the question, does Mina track down the web and invade their home? What I didn't mention was that I also asked if Tortimus and his vampire spawn showed up too. The reason for that question was because I had finally figured out the nature of Salo's betrayal. He'd invited the vampires into the web's safe haven. I'd also asked a follow-up question. How did Tortimus enter? And the answer was, reveal spirit. That suggested to me that he was hidden and that he would be revealed. I considered having Tatters make an attune role to detect Tortimus, but I thought better of it. The Blade's rulebook states... When a player does something challenging, we make an action roll to see how it turns out. An action is challenging if there is an obstacle to the PC's goal that's dangerous or troublesome in some way. We don't make an action roll unless the PC is put to the test. If their action is something that we'd expect them to simply accomplish, then we don't make an action roll. Well, it seemed pretty clear to me that no roll was required here. This was just the story developing, and so the opportunity was there to give Sallow something cool to do. I'd have done the same were I running a group game as the GM, and Sallow was one of my players' PCs. Now, normally, in Blades, the GM involvement follows purely from the PC action roles. Failures, or partial successes, dictate where the story goes. But in this free-play section, it felt like the story state dictated a need to ask slightly leading questions. This narrative arc, and the season as a whole, feel like they are building to a climax, and it seemed only appropriate to ask if any of the PC's actions to date had resulted in consequences. So, enter Tortimus stage right. We'll have to wait to find out what Mina and the Spider have to say to one another, though based on that opening exchange, I'm guessing it's going to be a little frosty. Assuming they both survive what's coming, of course. 
The stakes, no pun intended, have just been raised considerably, and not just because of Tortimus and his band of jolly bloodsuckers. There are times at work when I find myself up to five layers of interruption deep. The thing I started on is interrupted, then the new area of focus is interrupted in turn, and before I know it, I have a long climb back out of my pit of interruption just to get back to that one thing I started on. Well, this feels a little bit like that. I need to keep careful track of all those things I was in the middle of doing before something else came along, so I can pick my way back along the path to the beginning. But to achieve that, I first need to complete the thing in front of me, and hope for no more interruptions. Let's see how that works out, shall we? Are you looking for a D&D podcast for the dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Whatever the reason is for Sallow's betrayal, it is forced to wait. With the splintering of doors under heavy hammers, more unwelcome visitors are breaking into the Opera House. A group of perhaps a dozen unsavoury types spread out through the circle seats above the auditorium. They line up, crossbows trained on the figures on the stage. Their leader, a heavy-set, brutish type in a filthy leather waistcoat, steps through their ranks and sneers down. So, this is the famous web, is it? Can't say I'm much impressed. Shit, Trace whispers. Unseen. Tatters, her face pale and drawn, glances about. Never mind those idiots. Where the hell did Tortimus and his people go? Valerian shrugs hopelessly, looking around in vain for any form of cover that is not soft furnishings. Crater takes a swig from his bottle and grins up at the newcomers. Wade, isn't it? You're bossing up with you, fat man. The shapeshifter, calling itself Wade, looks suitably taken aback. How the f... Never mind. My boss, as you call her, drowned along with our supply and pretty much everyone else in that depot. And, much as I hated her guts, there's only one answer to an insult like that. He raises his arm. Pick your targets, boys. A booming voice, magically enhanced and coming from outside the building, interrupts him. You in there, this is the law. The building is surrounded, and you are all under arrest. Come out, with your hands up! Mina, her pistol drawn, side-eyes the spider. This place is a closely guarded secret, is it? I'd hate to see you loosely guarded once. What did you do? Hand out invitations? The spider grimaces. You know, things were actually going pretty well until you showed up. Nina turns to her, incredulous. You are not seriously saying that this shit show is somehow my fault. Behind them, Crater grins broadly. He looks like he's having the time of his life. Valerian glowers at him. What the bloody hell have you got to look so cheerful about? The big man shrugs, his white teeth stark against the blue ink of his facial tattoos. I don't know. I'm just a glass-half-full sort of bloke, I reckon. 
I'm about to get to crack some skulls, and I figure that, just for once, things can't possibly get any worse. And it's at that exact moment that the Seeker airship comes smashing through the Opera House roof, and everything that wasn't there already goes utterly to hell. Did I say we'd have to wait just a moment for Sallow's confession? Well, my apologies. I lied. Confessions are currently on indefinite hold. Because, you see, when I rolled to see if Mina and the Undying tracked down the web, I figured that they were not the only players on the board. And so I also rolled to see if the Unseen would track the party down, and I got a yes. But... I ruled that meant many of them had died in the flood, and so they showed up in small numbers, but still represented a significant threat. Hence the web are now sitting ducks for a row of elevated crossbowmen. But of course, that wasn't the end of it, because, as everybody knows, the one thing you simply must do when the peril has been amped up to the max is amp it up a little bit more. In the immortal words of Nigel Tufnell, these go to eleven. And so I asked the oracle if anyone else showed up, and it turned out that not only were the blues banging on the door, but the Seekers had also tracked the crew down. They are called Seekers, after all, the clues in the name. And when I asked how the Seekers entered, well, the response from the oracle was Breach Home. For some reason, that immediately dropped a very clear image into my head. A while back, I was running a game for my group based on a convention game concept dreamed up by Keith Baker, the creator of the Eberron D&D setting. There's a nation in that world called Karnath, where the undead were widely used in the last war, but where now the powers that be see them as a bit of an embarrassment. Here is the game intro that I read to my players. Four years ago... A crack Karnathi commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These undead individuals promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Karnathi underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the K-Team. Basically, the PCs are the A-Team, if the A-Team were a Bone Knight, a Flame Skull, a Mummy, and a Ghost. You get the idea. So there was this heist mission involving a theatre, and their approach was to smash their custom black-with-red-go-faster-stripe airship through the roof. And, well, anyway, the point being, the Oracle prompt reminded me of Thing, and so I used the Thing, and now we have the Seekers of Droom bursting through the Opera House roof in a massive skyship ready to kick some ass, while... Outside, we have a horde of angry bluecoats just itching to crack some skulls, and inside, we have a pangalactic gargle blaster-like cocktail of deadly vampires, angry shapeshifters, and uneasy allies. Stakes, I think it's fair to say, suitably re-raised. And in case you'd forgotten, the pangalactic gargle blaster's effects are described as similar to having your brains smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped round a large gold brick. This is not the sort of party where people are going to be helping with the cleaning up at the end. On the plus side, with the addition of those Seekers, things really can't get any worse from here. It's just a question of working our way back up the interruption track and hoping that all of the folks we want to survive do so, and all of the ones that we don't, don't. But all of that 
is going to have to wait. Until next time. You have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider telling your friends about it or leaving a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is a huge help. You can find me on Twitter at TheLoneADV. You can email me at TheLoneADV at gmail.com or follow my blog at carlillustration.wordpress.com You can find show notes for this episode and all the others at theloneadventurer.podbeam.com where I include any links mentioned in the episode as well as mechanics information. I also include a link to a full episode transcript. The story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening. Nothing stirs in the docks. The nighttime curfew is being well observed, it seems. Blackened beams poke through the rubble of the destroyed warehouse like charred ribs through incinerated flesh. The explosion that ripped through this place when Crater shot one of those powder barrels completely levelled the building, and anything that survived the initial blast was burned beyond recognition in the blaze that followed. All is still in the night, save for gentle wafts of smoke rising from still glowing embers. The sharp, peppery smell of infernal powder cuts through the stench of wood smoke. At the precise location where Crater's bullet struck the barrel, the air shimmers for just an instant, then returns to normal. Seconds tick by, and then it happens again. Only this time, the effect does not fade. Instead, the air seems to congeal and begin to slowly ripple. At that spot, a strange patch of otherness begins to form, disturbing to the eye whether anyone there to see it. A baleful, sickly light, eerie and disconcerting, begins to throb slowly in the darkness. Then, with slow and hideous convulsion, reality tears open. It's just for a moment, a brief and spasmodic fissure that seals itself and vanishes almost as soon as it appears, but it exists for long enough to spew forth something not of this world. The glistening, undulating thing that has escaped the demon dimensions, or tentacles and carapace, gathers its form, extrudes row after row of dripping fangs, and sniffs at the night air. When it roars, there is unspeakable excitement and hunger in the sound. Across the city, a hundred sleepers shift, uneasy in their dreams. Then, the thing that should not be here sets off to hunt. Hello and welcome to my promotional trailer of enticement. 
My name is Art the Solo Gamer, and I am the storyteller and game master for a bi-weekly actual play podcast called The Solo Gaming Experience. Each season, I use a different RPG system with some solo components thrown over the top of it to hopefully tell the best story I possibly can. Join me on the Solo Gaming Experience. That's the Solo Gaming EXP on any podcast platform near you. I humbly thank you in advance.